led me to for you, and um, some things I've begun to go through with some of our folks as well. So as you turn there, let me thank you. Uh, we are one of the many um, who are blessed by your faithfulness and your obedience as a church in, um, in the revitalization of Grace Baptist and sending folks over there and, and sending Byron over there and, and getting some things going in that facility. Our, our church, uh, we were meeting on campus. We kind of outgrew that, uh, mostly in the demographic of the two and under uh, category. And so we were kind of looking for a place to meet. And Byron said, look, we're doing this new thing. We're trying to get this thing going. Y'all just meet at night. We don't meet at night. Let's start talking and see what, what can happen. And so currently we have two congregations that are sharing that facility and so really within a few years, it went from, from a very questionable future to having literally hundreds of people using the facility all throughout the week. And that's largely in part to the fact that you as a congregation said yes to the Lord when, when he put that in front of you and you were obedient, you were faithful. And so I want to thank you on behalf of our congregation for your faithfulness because we are being blessed uh, by that. And so I'm very happy to be with you this morning. I've been... Um, in some kind of ministry for about 16 years now, which, which doesn't make me necessarily a seasoned veteran in, in, in some respects, but I'm not really a rookie either, and uh, I feel like a rookie most days, but when I look at the calendar, it says otherwise. And so, um, but in praying about what, just what to bring this, this morning, it's something that I've been studying a little bit for some of our folks uh, over at the ring. When I sit down with people and do whatever, counseling or just kind of pastoring and just just spending time with people and seeing how the Lord can maybe use our lives together to to get them through whatever they're facing. Uh, I usually find that that it really kind of comes down to to three areas, you know, that 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 life is kind of like this like this triangle, you know, kind of a a point at the top and then a point kind of inward and a point outward. That folks are usually dealing with something in in regard to God or it's something that's inward, or it's something dealing with, some, with someone else. And so a lot of times the, the problems that are, that are up at the top of that triangle are just, just a, a wrong thinking about who God is, about his character, about how he works, about um, just really who he is, and, and just all these, these really just lies and just false thinking about who God is. Um, and then sometimes it's kind of similar, but it's, it's wrong, just a misunderstanding of, of who they are as a person. If you're sitting down with someone who's not a Christian, they, they fail to see that they are, in fact, a sinner that's separate from God and all that. If you're sitting down a lot of times with someone who is a Christian, they're kind of the opposite. They, they don't realize that they are no longer a sinner, that now they are a saint. And so a lot of times it comes down to, to those kind of issues of identity and, and trying to, to help them see that they're finding their worth and value, and security, and joy, and all these wrong places. And so that's kind of the, the inward part of the triangle. And then if, if it's the outward part of the triangle, it's just dealing with some, some broken relationships that they have, and some, just some issues they're having with people. And, and so when I go to sit down with somebody, it doesn't take me very long to figure out kind of which, which part of that triangle, like the fracture points, are happening in. And the thing is, no matter what part of the triangle the, where the, the fracture points are, it, all, all the, one area affects the other two like very, very, very quickly. So if you have wrong thinking about who God is, then that impacts your, your mind, your soul, and it impacts the way you interact with people as well. 
So if you have wrong thinking about yourself, it impacts how you relate to God and how you relate to others. And if you have issues with people, it, it just wears on your own soul and it in, impacts your relationship with God. And so um, that's one thing I found is that the people, you know, they want to isolate it. They want to figure out, okay, I need to really figure out what this is this one area of life, and let's, I need to work through this. What they aren't realizing is that it's really affecting all three of those areas of life all the time. And where there are fracture points in one area, it affects all of them. The same thing happens when there's healing in one. There's healing in the others. And so it's kind of that holistic approach that, that is kind of where I find myself a lot of times sitting down with people. It's helping them to see the, the, the bigger picture Let's, let's go toward the truth. Let's figure out exactly uh, where, where, where the lies are, and let's ask Jesus to, to rip those lies out and replace them with what is true. And so what I felt led to this morning was something I've been led to with, with a lot of our, our folks as well, is dealing with that outward part of the triangle where those fracture points are in relationships. And the majority of the time, the issue that you work through, when it, you get it all down to the roots of what's going on, is there's an issue with forgiveness. It just sounds very simple. It sounds like something we learn when we're, when we're real young. You just need to forgive. But that's, oftentimes it's just not as easy as it sounds. So let's look, Matthew chapter 18. Jesus has been talking about basically church discipline what you do when, when a brother has sinned against you. So verse 21 says this, says, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. Okay, so what, what, what does this mean? Are we supposed to count to 490? Every time we're dealing with someone who, who is, is sinned against us or hurt us. And no, Jesus uses hyperbole a lot in his teaching. What he's essentially saying is that forgiveness is not a matter of, of, of keeping count. It's not about a statistical thing. And that's not, it's, not you're trying, it's not about trying to fulfill some sort of law. That there's something more going on. In the, in the Jewish world, three times was, was the, all that was required. Here Peter is being extra generous. Jesus is really saying, look, you're, you're kind of missing the point. And then he, in a, something to me that's very interesting, he goes in to explain forgiveness, but he uses terminology dealing with debt. He does this in the Lord's Prayer, too. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And so let's, let's look at, we're going to look at just part of this parable uh, to kind of establish a, a larger point. Uh, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. Right? Modern day terms, it's like $6 billion, according to smart people who can figure such things out. $6 billion. Verse 25, And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. Okay? So let's stop, let's stop right there. So here's, here's kind of what, what like the, the progression of events that leads to this kind of indebtedness, all right? Kind of the first step is, is money was borrowed, all right? Then that created, 
the second step, which is a $6 billion debt. Seems like a lot of money, and it is. So you, he borrowed the money, $6 billion worth of debt, and then the natural thing happens is you make him pay the debt. That's what happens with all of us. If you take out a loan for your, a house or a car or whatever, you borrow money from the bank, it creates a dollar amount that you owe them, and then they make you pay it. Somebody's going to pay it, and that's kind of how debt works. And that's what he's saying here, $6 billion debt. Then look what, what happens. Um, verse 26, so the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. All right, we're going to stop right there. Out of pity for him, the master released him and forgave him the debt. So here's what Jesus is, is saying and likening this to forgiveness within relationships. He's saying in the kingdom of the world, this is, this is how you handle debt. You borrow money, you go $6 billion in debt, and then they make you pay it. But Jesus introduces a second option here in this third step. That's what he does all throughout his ministry. You read the Sermon on the Mount. The whole time, he's basically saying, uh, this is how it is in the kingdom of the world, but this is how it is in the kingdom of heaven. In the kingdom of the world, this is how you handle uh, whatever the issue may be. And then he flips that and says, but, but in my kingdom, this is what it looks like. And he's doing this with forgiveness as well. So this guy borrowed money. He owed the money. We'd have to make him pay it, but he introduces this new option, which involves two things. It involves forgiving the debt, absorbing the debt, and then releasing him. So this is his explanation of forgiveness. So I started you know, reading and, and listening to some teachings on this, and at first it didn't make a lot of sense. Like, How does financial debt relate to relationships? It doesn't make any sense. But I believe that it makes perfect sense when we start to think, to think kind of what Jesus was, was explaining. Because we experience something very similar, a very similar progression of events in, every, in everyday life. So the first step in relationships, instead of borrowing the money, the first thing that happens here is, is you're hurt. You just, you just get hurt. Now let's just, just, no need to hide it. This is a hurtful place to live. Somebody hurts you. Could be your spouse, could be a sibling, could be your parents, could be your kids, could be your boss, could be a coworker, could be a neighbor, could be a best friend, could be a pastor, could be an elder, could be a deacon, could be a Sunday school teacher, could be a stranger, could be a random Facebook friend that you don't even really know. You know? Could be anybody. And and they hurt us. Maybe they lie. Maybe they have to confess something. Maybe something secretive has been going on. Maybe they talked bad about you behind your back. Maybe they said they were going to do something and they didn't. Maybe they exploded in anger and said some very personal things. Maybe they just didn't meet your expectations. Maybe they just let you down. You could go on and on and on. But that first thing that happens is we're, we're hurt. What happens is hurt creates a kind of debt. It creates this emotional debt. That somehow it's, it's, it's like they, 
they owe us something, right? Because they hurt us, you know? You hurt me, so you, you owe me. And the hard thing about this middle step is, is it's really hard to quantify what's going to make that last step happen, you know? You, if you borrow money for your mortgage, you can go online or call your bank or whatever, and they can tell you the exact dollar amount of debt that you have at this very moment. But with emotional debt, it's, it's, it's kind of vague. You, know, you don't really know. You just know. I know that, you, that this person hurt me, and I know that they owe me now. I don't know what they owe me, but they owe me something. And in the kingdom of the world, the way to handle that is you, you make them pay, right? You make them pay. You yell at them. You explode with anger. They said something to hurt you. You're going to hurt them worse. You withdraw. You isolate. You defriend them on Facebook. You know? We have all these super mature ways of dealing with it, but we, you are going to pay for what you did to me. In marriages, a lot of times, you, we, you'll see, you see one, one spouse withdraw or withhold with intimacy, with communication, with just, just all this stuff. And so there's all these ways that we find to make them pay that debt. And even if we never speak to them for the rest of our lives, they deserve it, right? Because they owe us because they hurt us. And what Jesus is doing is he's introducing the fact that there is another way to handle hurt and emotional debt that we create in our minds. There's a second option that in the kingdom of heaven, you absorb the debt and you release them. Not release them as a friend. You release them in the sense that you don't hold it over their head. You don't hold it against them. And so we really have two options when it comes to dealing with the wounds and the hurts that happen in everyday life in all of our interpersonal relationships. When it gets to this third step, you can go kingdom of the world and you can make them pay. Or you can go kingdom of heaven and absorb the debt and release them. In my reading, I came across something that Tim Keller said. He's a pastor in New York City. He says that forgiveness is simply this. It's a refusal to make them pay for what they did. A refusal to make them pay for what they did. And then I would add this. It's also a refusal to hold it against them. See, forgive and forget is, is one of the, just the greatest myths of our time. Nobody, nobody forgives and forgets. God himself doesn't forgive and forget. Jeremiah 31, 34, and talking about the new covenant, he says, I will forgive their iniquity and remember their sins no more. But God, God can't forget anything, right? It doesn't mean that, that I will remember those sins no more. It's saying I, their sins will not count against them anymore. It, won't, it will not be held over their head. That there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so forgiveness, forgiveness is, is this God-empowered choice that you and I have. To not make someone pay for what they've done to us and to not hold it against them. So, what, what, do, you even, what do you even do with that? You know? like that preaches really well, right? I, I think it preaches well. It feels, feels right to preach it. 
But you can't just tell that to someone and then be like, okay, let's, let's pray, and then like, go, go on. Because that's, that's a great truth, and it's awesome, but you're like, okay, I, but I need to figure out, like, how do you, how do you like, grab onto that, you know? Like, let's say that you're like, okay, I, I, I get that. I tend to be a kingdom of the world person. I tend to want to hurt them back. I tend to want to, like, make them pay for what they did. But I want to be one who absorbs that debt and releases them. Like, I want to be a kingdom of heaven kind of person. How do you, how do you even do that? All right, let's, let's turn together to Ephesians 4. Um, this won't be on the screen. It'll be okay, though. We'll make it. Uh, if you go to Ephesians 4, one of the things that when you, when you decide and, and, and Jesus draws you to himself and you come to this realization of the, the beauty and the power of Christ and you say, yes, I want this, after he's been drawing you and you're like, yeah, this is what I want, you, you enter into this relationship that is essentially uh, you're following after a rabbi. If you go to, to Israel right now, I got to go a couple years ago, you'll see these rab, like a rabbi walking around, and he'll have his disciples following him. And, and he'll, he'll be walking, and they're like walking behind him. If he stops, they like run into him. And they're watching him, and they're looking at him. If he, if he stops to look at, at a tree, they're looking at the tree as well. And if he starts talking, they're soaking up everything he has to say. They listen, listen to all his words, they watch all of his actions, and their entire goal is to imitate him in every possible way. So when you and I enter into a, in that relationship with Jesus and that discipleship, we're basically saying, I'm going to look at everything that you do, I'm going to listen to everything that you say, and I want you to teach me to be exactly like you in every way. And so here in Ephesians 4 at the end, verse 32, here's, here's the key to forgiveness as far as, okay, where, where do we begin? It says, be, be kind to one another tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. It's this understanding of the forgiveness that comes from Christ to us. It's realizing that when you go back to the parable, that we were the borrowers, we were the offenders, that our sin created a $6 billion debt, just this ridiculously massive debt that there's no possible way we could pay it. We, we have to understand that, that in Christ, he's not made you pay. If you were a Christian, he's looked at you and says, I'm not going to make you pay for the sin that you, that you have done and for the, the debt that you have incurred. I'm not going to make you pay it. I'm going to literally absorb it into my own life. And I'm going to release you to live in freedom from that debt. I'm not going to hold it against you. And the crazy part about the Lord is that, like I said earlier, he, it's not that he forgets. He knows every single detail of all of our sin, and yet he doesn't hold it against us. And so an understanding of the forgiveness that comes to us is crucial. And that's a large part of, of what Jesus was driving at in that parable. The parable goes on, says the guy who was forgiven the $6 billion debt runs out and finds somebody that owed, also owed him money, and it was like $12,000 in like modern day time, modern day whatever. He's just forgiven $6 billion. He runs out, finds somebody who owes him $12,000, and just goes after him and is like, you will pay me the money and like all this kind of stuff. And so Jesus is saying, that, that makes no sense. When you've been forgiven this massive debt, why would you hold this little bitty debt over somebody else? 
so our starting point as Christians is recognizing, okay, Jesus has forgiven us immensely. So why would I withhold because of these little hurts? And even some of these big hurts, none of them compare to what we have been forgiven of in Christ. The next verse, and he goes on right after that, says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The key in learning how to forgive one another is to literally imitate our rabbi and what he has done. We look at him, we say, I want to be just like you. So we listen to what he he has to say. We look at what he does in the scriptures. We go to him in prayer. We abide and we let him transform us. And we, we allow that power to flow into us and do something that we cannot do on our own, which is to truly absorb the hurt and the debt to be able to move on and not hold that against them. You can't do that on your own. I can't do that on my own. That's why so many people sit down across from me and they go into tears about these relationships and they can't figure out what's going on. It's because they're trying to forgive and you, you cannot do it. You can't really forgive unless God infuses you with power and you imitate your rabbi. Flip over a couple of pages to Philippians chapter 2. I want to run very quickly through some things that I believe will make a massive difference in your pursuit of forgiveness. If we want to imitate Christ, that we look like we look at what our we look at what the scriptures have to say about our rabbi. We have all this insight as to his his attitude and who he was. So if he is the great forgiver, if he is the forgiver of the six billion dollar debt of this just massive, massive debt that we cannot pay, then he is the one who will lead you in how to forgive your spouse for what they said, your best friend from what they did, your boss for what they didn't do, whatever it is. He's the perfect forgiver. And so we imitate him. And these are some of the things that we see. Look at Philippians 2, starting in verse 1. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. Okay? Now, of course, you've been through this, so you know that Paul's talking about like the unity of, of this church and the importance of being like on the same page. I think that's, that's a very important step for us. Especially if you're, if you're dealing with hurt between two believers, you've you got to get on the same page about it. You've got to have the courage to sit down and have a conversation and say, look, this went on, and we both know it's weird, but we need to be unified in our desire to pursue forgiveness and Christlikeness and holiness together. So that's going to be a part of it, is, is getting on the same page and letting, letting Jesus kind of unify you in it. Even if you don't know what that process looks like from that point on, you've got to be willing to, to do that. Verse 3, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, 
but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Nothing from rivalry or conceit. You got you to you check your motives. You got to know why you're, you're doing it. You got to really be, be able to look at yourself in all honesty and say, am, am I doing this to get back at them? You know, I say I want forgiveness, but what I really want is, is just to buy some time to find a better way to hurt them. There has to be this humility with which you pursue forgiveness. It can't be out of revenge. It can't be out of arrogance. Verse 4. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. you got to consider what's, what's best for the other person. you got to really stop and, and think. I just tear them apart. Is that really what's best for them? You got to love them enough to lay down whatever sort of like personal agenda you may have and let that humility guide you forward. You got to put them ahead of yourself, which is difficult when you're the hurt one, right? Because they didn't put you ahead of them. That's why that's where where this all started. Well, guess what? With Jesus, we didn't put him ahead of us. He put us ahead of his own needs by going to the cross. So as as the great forgiver, he'll guide you in that. So these first couple of verses really they, they kind of they kind of set the stage a little bit for whatever is is going to move forward the unity that needs to happen, the motives that need to be checked, the humility that must be in in place. These are all things that that we see in Jesus. These are things that Paul is is encouraging of these believers. And look at this next verse, because to me, this this is where, I don't know, this is is big, I believe. Verse 5, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours, in Christ Jesus. Look at that, just that one verse. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. This is a fact for you. If you're a Christian, it is a fact that you have the mind of Christ. That Christ has come to dwell in your life. That you are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come that Christ in you is the hope of glory, and that's the reality that you and I live in as Christians. You have this mind. It's there. So the great forgiver lives in you. The great forgiver lives in me. The great forgiver is able to show you how to think correctly about the hurt, great forgiver will show you how to act and how to pray and when to speak and when to be quiet, when to give him a hug. This mind is yours in Christ Jesus. When you, when you think about the, the mind of Christ in the fact that we sinned and there was this debt that was created 
and the payment of that death uh, of that debt would basically be death. The mind of Christ that is in you is able to look at that sin and that hurt, and that violation of His holiness, and look at that debt. But yet, there's something that is greater than that hurt, and that is love. Love for you, love for the Father, was greater than that sin, and greater than that debt. That's the mind that's a part of who you are now. See, that love that prevails over hurt, that's going to drive you to that kind of absorbing forgiveness and that releasing that happens. That's who you are. That's who, that's who I am. You might think, yeah, but, but when, I, when I've been so hurt, I don't love them. Okay. All right. You're just being emotional. That's why you come to the Lord in prayer, and you submit to him, and you say, you are, you are my rabbi. You are my good shepherd. I'm abiding in you. You know that I'm hurt. You know that my, like, I'm not sensing the love for this person right now. I need you, I need you to lead me down this path of righteousness for your name's sake. I need that love to prevail over the hurt. And he'll do it. Because he lives in you. He is the hope of glory in you. So let that breathe hope into these fractured relationships. That there's something greater going on. No matter how how much it hurts. It's forgivable because of Christ. And I'm sure this church has been through difficult things. Our church has been through difficult things. And I've, I've gotten those phone calls before, and someone said, hey, this is what's going on. Uh, this has happened with, with this couple. And my first thought is there's no way they're going to make it. And those couples are more healthy and in love with each other today, and living for the glory of God, because, because they were faithful through the process, and they were able to bring those hurts and that debt to the Lord, and they, got, they, they just seemed to somehow get that without my shepherding, without anybody else, just the leadership of the Lord through it, they were able to understand, Jesus has forgiven us this debt, there's no way we could pay, there's no way we're going to run out and be that guy to hold a $12,000 debt over one another, even though it hurts, and even though it's big. When we understand what we have been forgiven, and we have the opportunity to pass that on, the mind of, of Christ kicks in and says, Let's, this, this, is, this is how we're going to do this. And he transforms the way we think. He transforms those relationships. And the next thing you know, you're going, I don't really understand what the deal is here, but I, I hated this person. And now that hatred has subsided, and I just, I, for some reason... I just love them. And I haven't forgotten a single thing that's gone on, but you know what? It really just doesn't even matter. And I don't know how that happened. And the way that it happened is because you have the mind of Christ in you. He is the hope of glory, and he will lead you down that path. It also says in verse 5, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours, in Christ Jesus. That in Christ... His divine power is at work. This whole process, there's no way you can do it 
when you abide, the life source of God flows into your life and empowers everything that we're talking about. Verse 6. And have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He didn't, he didn't hold on to the fact that he, he was God himself. He didn't grasp onto it so tightly. He, he was open-handed with that. You can't grasp on so tightly to the fact that you're the hurt one that you're unable to go forward in forgiveness. you got to let go of that. Jesus let go of that for you. You let go of that for others. Verse 7, He made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Verse 8, being found in human form. Jesus leveled, leveled the ground. You know, He became a human when he went to the cross, he took your sin on him. There has to be that level ground between you and the one that you are to forgive. Realizing that you're both, you both got your issues. You're not superior to them just because they hurt you. Jesus leveled the ground. You leveled the ground. Verse 8. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death even death on a cross. For, for Jesus, his obedience meant that he had to be crucified for the $6 billion debt. For you, it may mean that you have to have an awkward conversation for your $12,000 debt. Regardless, be obedient. Jesus says, talk to him, you talk to him. Jesus says, just go in and just listen. Then you just go in and listen. However he leads you forward, you got to be obedient to that. Jesus was obedient for you. You be obedient for him. And we close out. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's great reward for the obedient. That Jesus, as the one who, whose love prevailed over our sin, he absorbed that debt, we've been released in freedom, and the Father has rewarded him greatly. And your reward will be healing, will be restoration, will be life. And so what we end up doing is we are imitating our rabbi. We are imitators of God. We forgive others as God in Christ has forgiven us. He is the good shepherd. He'll lead you down this path of righteousness for his name's sake. He'll do it. That in Christ you can absorb that debt. You can refuse to make them pay for what they did. And you can literally live the rest of your life knowing every detail and not hold it against them. It's one of, the, one of the beautiful realities that points back to the gospel for us. But if we lose sight 
of the debt that Christ absorbed for us and released us of. We, when we lose sight of that, we become like the guy in the parable who runs out over, over a small, this small little debt and just freaks out about it. But when we keep what Jesus has done for us in full view, we naturally walk in the shadow of our rabbi and we imitate him. And the way Tim Keller puts it is this. He says, we, just, we need to be really good at reenacting the gospel. We need to be really good at repenting and forgiving. And whatever role you play in there, interpersonally, when there's healing there, there's healing in your soul, there's healing in your relationship with God. And so I'm going to pray, and we're going to stand, and we're going to sing a song of, of response that will essentially help put right in full view what Jesus has done for us. Let's let that response determine how we interact with those who have hurt us. Let's, let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you for uh, your goodness toward us. For the fact that we had a debt that we could not pay, and $6 billion doesn't even cover it. And yet, your love prevailed over that offense and that hurt. And you looked at us and you made a choice. A choice to humble yourself, come to the earth, live a, a sinless life and become our perfect sacrifice to literally absorb that debt as you became the one who died in our place. And you have released us. Knowing every offense that we have, you, you still love us and care for us and cherish us. We thank you that we are free because of what you have done. So help us to focus on that and then and to not lose sight when it comes to the ways that we hurt one another and are, and are hurt ourselves. May we be effective and accurate reenact, reenactors of the gospel, always quick to repent and to forgive. May these things point to the reality of what you have done for us on the cross. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen.